know what that sound means. It's another exciting installment of the Van Brawl Seasons Podcast, where we talk local sports, both the Atlanta Pro franchises, like the Braves, Hawks, Falcons, and we also talk the University of Georgia Bulldogs. So strap in, guys. It's another exciting episode about to start right now. What up, podcast land? This is Joseph Jim Joe of the Fan Brawl Seasons Podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to talk some Atlanta Falcons football. We're going to talk some University of Georgia Bulldog football. We're going to talk some basketball as well. We're going to talk some Atlanta Hawks and also some University of Georgia Bulldog basketball with our guest of the week. But before we get started with everything, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Fan Brawl Seasons is brought to you in part by Georgia Smoke Barbecue, authentic original oak smoked barbecue catering. Learn more at georgiasmoke.com. And across the way from me, in another fill-in role for our man RG3, who's out doing whatever RG3 does best. The one, the only, my dad. Dad, back-to-back weeks, huh? Yeah, this is really exciting, Joe. I'm looking forward to it. It, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it should be. So, Dad, we're, we're going to kind of do things a little out of order today. And, and with that being said, we're going to do our college and NFL picks of the week to start out the show. You ready to make some picks? Bring them on, Joe. Here we go. So our SEC game of the week, we're going to go college first, is Auburn minus six and a half over Mississippi State. Dad, give me your pick. Joe, I think I'm going to go uh, with Auburn. They seem to be good at winning these games. Six and a half is a lot of points for this game, but I think Auburn will cover it. Cover it. What do you have? I, you know, I think I'm going to be different from you. I'm going to say... I'm going to take the Bizarro Bulldogs. Give, give me Mike Leach, Will Rogers in that passing game, plus six and a half over Auburn. After seeing what Mississippi State did to Georgia in you know, eliminating Georgia's running game, I know Auburn's got a tank, Bigsby. So I think Mississippi State will find a way to take will find a way to take away Auburn's running game and put even more pressure on Bo Nix. So give me the Bizarros plus six and a half. You got them. Our second and final college pick. The week is a game that has so much tradition, so much pageantry, and is going to be played on campus for the first time in a very long time. That is the Army-Navy game. Dad, give me your pick. Well, Joe, in honor of our friend's strap dog, and he refers to this game as G.I. Joe versus Popeye the Sailor Man, I think I'm going to stick with uh, G.I. Joe and go with the Army uh, I think they're really playing well, and uh, Coach Monken has done a great job turning around there. I, I'll go with the Army. Who do you have? I, I'm going to go against you to be different. G- give me the Navy mid, midshipmen or the middies, as people call them. I like Ken Nuamalalele. Ken, Coach Ken. I'm just going to call him <laughs> Coach Ken. So, so give me the middies plus six and a half of our Army. I know Army's had a great season. Coached by former Georgia Southern head coach Jeff Munkin. And now, um, yeah, I mean, Ar- Army's had a great year, but give me the minis plus six and a half. You got them. I, I think it's I think it's going to be unusual to see that game being played at West Point. It truly will. Uh, and I, I wonder how many people they're going to let in and what the ticket allotment was like, you know, as far as the student body. It, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it will be. It will be. So we're going to go to our NFL picks really quick. And the first NFL game we have is the Buffalo Bills against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Dad, give me your pick. Joe, I'll be honest with you. I've been very impressed with Buffalo lately. They they seem, uh, 
they seem to really be hitting their stride, and I'm going to go with the Bills. I'm going to go with nobody circles the wagon like the Buffalo Bills, to quote the great Chris Berman. I, and you can get the Bills at two and a half today. So I just think Josh Allen and the Bills are really coming into their own. You know, they're they're a really upstart upstart team. And I mean, they, I mean, the Bills have been down for so long, and now it looks like they're finally starting to figure it out with Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, and uh, and those guys. So give me the Bills. And then our final NFL pick of the week: the LA Chargers against the Atlanta Falcons. Dad, give me your pick. So, um, I guess I'm I'm going to go with the Falcons. I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, I think I've I've liked what I've seen of the Falcons over the last five or six weeks. Uh, they've they do struggle against the Saints, but a lot of teams struggle against the Saints. I, I, I like the Falcons here. How about you? I'm going to take the Dirty Birds as well. Give me the Dirty Birds minus two and a half. I, I just think the Falcons, after, after after losing two tough ones to the Aints, I think the Falcons are going to bounce back in a major way. I know they got to fly West Coast, go cross country, and face an upstart charter team who's been snake bit a lot. I mean, Justin Herbert has really come into his own. Former quarterback out of Oregon. It looks like, and it looks like the Chargers have found their quarterback of the future. But I just think the Falcons will be too opportunistic. There's that key word again, opportunistic, led by Deion Jones and this defense. And so give me the Falcons minus two and a half. Very good, you got them. All right. So those are our college and NFL picks of the week. We're going to be back with our guest of the week here in one minute. And Dad, we're back. We're going to connect via the Fan for All Seasons fan line and bring on. Bring on a very special guest. This guy and I share some common connections. Both University of Georgia alumni, both graduates of the Grady College. Shout out Grady! And this guy is a big time, big time Atlanta sports fan, big time University of Georgia fan alum. You know, as I mentioned, very successful like set of albums and everything in the world of music. He is also very successful in the world of advertising and marketing. He is the one. He's the only. He's my cousin. He's Mike Colleen. Mike, how's it going, man? Hey, Joe. What an introduction. Thank you. Yeah, man. Mike, I, I just want to jump in before Joe gets rolling. Uh, Joe might have all that in common with you, but I've got more. I've got the same name. <laughs> That's right. You know, every time I uh, I meet someone important, they, they, they say, you're you're not as impressive as I had heard. And I said, no, that's my uncle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, Mike. Well, we're going to get things started with some Atlanta Falcons football here. And so, so kind of my first topic for you is this. After playing the game of the season last week against the Las Vegas Raiders, the Falcons came back to earth, losing in another painful way to the Saints. What were your thoughts following Sunday's game? Oh man, uh, it was very entertaining. I'll tell you that I, I enjoyed it. You know, I I, um, I I get into the Falcon Saints rivalry. You know, I, I, you know the classic cliche: throw the records aside. Always feels apropos. Uh, I think if there had been five quarters, we probably would have won. You know, but uh, that was a tough one. I, I I wanted them to win that one. You know, for years, this is what fans of bad teams do. I always thought, oh, you know, if just this had happened or just that had happened, we'd be Seven and four, not four and seven. And I think you learn over time that, especially in NFL, you know, every game comes down to just a few plays. And I think that one did. And that's why if you look at the, the Vegas lines on these games, you know, it's, the spreads are always like, you know, the best team will play the worst team will be an eight-point spread, you know, whereas in college football it will be a 40-point spread. Um, so I think the games are just so tough. The players are all so good. 
Um, we have so many good players. It's a, it's a little head scratching why we, you know, we're, we're doing what we're doing. But, um, you know, it doesn't help when you're not sure if Julio is going to play. It doesn't help that Gurley is not the Gurley we, we remember. Um, but I, I thought, I thought, I think their future can be bright. I'm hoping Matt Ryan has two more good years than him. If he does, I think that they can rebound. You know, uh, hopefully they still. I'm out of the loop, but hopefully they still make schedules where if you have a bad year, you get a future schedule next year. But I, I, I think the future is bright for them. Uh, I think they have a lot of good players. Mike, I think you in your discussion you might have come up with a, a good name for my biography. If there had been one more quarter, I might have won. <laughs> <laughs> Good, I like that. So my next topic for you as far as the Falcons is this, Mike. The Falcons find themselves in a tough situation. In your opinion, where do they go from here? Well, I mean, I think, again, I think they've got, in the not-citizen future, they've got to, well, immediately they've got to figure out their coach. Um, and I'm reading it's not going to be, um, I'm either Morris, is that, is that the gentleman's name? Right, yes. Uh, um, I'm reading it's not going to be him, which, you know, I think that's unfortunate. I, I, I think that, if, you know, if, if, if any city in the, you know, the country should have a, you know, a, a, a man of color and a leadership position, Atlanta might, might be the right fit for that. And I think he's done a good job. So I, I hope he gets a look. But they got to figure out the coaching situation right away. And I think that, you know, the GM situation and all that. I think, they're, again, they're not too far from having to figure out the quarterback situation. I love Matt Ryan, but, he's you know, he's not a spring chicken. I think they need to play out the year. I think that uh, it's, it's going to be, whether literally or figuratively, it's an asterisk year for everybody with – you know, COVID, we're going to look back at these seasons and there'll be only year, you know, exactly what year it is by looking at the, 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 the seats in the background being empty, you know. So, so if there's a year to rebuild, this might be it. I, I think they have a, a good future. I, you know, I don't think you, uh, you know, you tank for the Clemson quarterback. I think you, you, you play hard and, and keep developing the offensive defensive line. I don't think Todd Gurley is our running back of the future. And he's my single favorite George football player of all time. But, um, you know, it was a little, it was a little too evident when he was trying to move laterally at the end of the, the game last week against the Saints. So, you know, I think they've got, they've got some great skill positions. I think they need to just keep slogging ahead and, and, and look to have a, a playoff run next year. What's your take on? Yeah, Joe, I think, uh, you know, they are at a, at a point where they need to reload. I think the, they've spent, you know, a fair amount of draft capital on the offensive side of the ball except for the quarterback position. And, uh, you know, it seems like uh, they're out of balance. Uh, you know, the defense uh, needs some help. It seems like whoever they bring in to be a pass rusher, it, it just doesn't work. Um, yeah. you know, Fowler hasn't really been what we were hoping for. Agree. Agree. And, you know, of course, Beasley and uh, Tack Tacker. McKinley, are, they're gone, but they didn't rush the pass either. The other thing I'm coming around to is the idea that maybe being a good pass rusher is is a much much harder deal than we all think because <laughs> yeah. uh, those those guys are hard to find. Um, but I well usually we just bring John Abrams back. And, and take <laughs> yeah, there yeah. you go. Or or even like Patrick Kearney. I mean he I mean, he was really good too. I like the guy uh, Beerman. He was my favorite. <laughs> yeah, Croy Beerman, the ultimate. Third down, try hard guy. I think he went to Montana, if I if I have that correct. Who Georgia played in basketball last night? Fun little oh, look at that segue. Yeah, exactly. Your first podcast. Exactly, exactly. So so we're gonna transition from some Atlanta Falcons football to some University of Georgia Bulldog football. 
with you here, Mike. And my first topic for you as far as Georgia football goes, this weekend travel to Columbia to face Missouri. What are your expectations for Georgia coming off a surprising bite? I think that's a great question. I'm really, I'm actually interested. I mean, you know, every player who plays for Georgia could have gone to Missouri, right? So, you know, we, 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 we should kick their butt. Um, but but I, I don't know. I mean, you know, some of these players are used to playing for SEC championships. Some of these players are used to playing for national championships. Um and state championships in high school. And, um, you know, it feels a little bit like a afterthought. You know, they, when did they find out they were traveling? When did they find out who they're, who they're playing? You know, so maybe talent just wins, but I, I, think it'll be, I think it'll be interesting to see if they're up to the game or not, you know, to, to travel to, uh, I mean, I love Missouri as much as the next guy, but, you know, it's <laughs> New York City. And, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, they got to travel there, they got to play a game more prepared for, and they've got to they've win. So I think they will, but I think it could be interesting. I think so too. I think the other like surprising thing is the weather. The the weather in Columbia was to be like in the 30s with snow. And I'm like, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a Georgia football game in the snow before. So this, so if that happens, that'll be fascinating to see. But that'll be a memory. I I know. I, has there ever been one? I mean, you guys would know better than I, me. Probably not, right? I'm not sure. And I I do know one thing. I'm sure if there is snow in Columbia on Saturday. I'm sure Munson is looking down thinking, man, I just don't know if we can move the ball in this snow. <laughs> well, he'll think it's sugar. <laughs> he will. He will. Well, you know, when Georgia went to Notre Dame, that was their first game north of the Mason-Dixie line in, you know, 50 Since, years or something like right, that. So right. I, it's probably pretty likely that they've not played. That, that's cool. That'll be fun. I hope it happens. But Missouri plays uh, one of those spread wide open offenses with a freshman quarterback and uh, – I don't know how that translates to snow either. Uh, so it, it'll be fun. It'll be certainly interesting and, and fun to watch. It should be. It should be. So, so our next topic for you, the Georgia offense seems to be in a different place with JT Daniels at quarterback. What did you like most about JT under center for Georgia? Uh, I, I have a very non sabermetric answer for you. I like the way it looks when he throws the football. <laughs> you know, he just looks like a quarterback. It, it, the, the ball comes off his hand differently. It's... It, you know, I, I was I was on you know the I was with the group who loved the the, the rags to riches story of uh, of the mailman and all that, but you know I mean JT looks like a quarterback. He walks like a quarterback. He throws the football down the field like a quarterback. You know, if, if I think if he had been throwing the ball against Florida, you know, uh, it would have been a, a really different game. So um, I think he just he just got he just got it, and I think it's it's very exciting. It, I agree. I agree. That, you, you know, that's the thing that really stood out to me when I saw, when when I saw him, you know, against Mississippi State, is how fluid and easy his delivery is as far as throwing it, and he can he can make every throw, and I, I feel really good about him going forward. What's your take, Dad? I agree. Uh, I think the wide receivers go into the game a lot more engaged because uh, they know that there's a good chance they're going to see the ball, and you know, Mike referred to the Florida game, I can think of a couple of times we had wide receivers running open deep. And like, like that deep ball to Robinson. And, and, and the ball, you know, we just didn't give him a chance. And uh, you know, I think we could have hit some big plays, uh, you know, if we could have got the ball down the field. And who knows how that would have changed the game. But um, I, I really enjoy watching uh, Daniels throw the ball. It's, uh, it's definitely a, a different look than... We've seen since, since Stafford as far as the ball just jumping out of his hand. 
No, I, th- I think yeah. you're spot on. I think you're spot on. So, so college football is changing simply in the fact that offenses appear to have a leg up on defense. Will this trend continue? Hmm. That, well, that's a oh man. How much time do you have? I mean, <laughs> what what do we define to be good defense? You know, it used to be fourteen to ten. You know, maybe we need to change our understanding of what good defense is. If you win thirty to twenty eight, is, is that great defense because you kept you kept the team from scoring forty? Um, I think the points are higher. They're going to be higher. You know, uh, Gary Danielson says good offense beats good defense. I, I think some traditionalists don't want to hear that. I also think there's a game of cops and robbers that happens, you know, where one side adjusts and the other side adjusts. And, you know, it's like in any race that the, the, the guy that gets to say go is probably going to win. And so I think, I think for that reason alone, offense will continue to have the upper hand because, you know, I think we, we talked about this once recently, but you know, the, 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 some of the just, like, cultural decisions people make in sports are baffling. And, you know, that it took them this long to figure out if you spread the field that your really fast guys have more room to run, you know, that it took till 2007 to figure that out, you know, it, it's kind of funny. So I think it's kind of just, like, logic has taken over. And I think for that reason, you know, these athletes are so good. It's, it's hard to tackle someone open field and get the guy in open field. I think offense will win. But I think we need to adjust what we, what we think of as good defense because – you know, if you give up 30 points but you stop them at the end of the game, maybe that's good defense. Well, that's a great point. Uh, I think also uh, you're seeing more of the great athletes heading to the offensive side of the ball. Because, you know, let's say you have a good defense with one great defensive back. Well, a team can scheme that guy into insignificance, you know, put him on one side and run the play to the other. Whereas if you're a, that same athlete is put on the offensive side of the ball, he's going to be part of the game because the offensive coordinator, you know, can can scheme him into the game. So uh, I, th- I think that plays into it. And then what we were talking about before, the idea of pass rushing, you know, a really good pass rusher is hard to find, but they can scheme around that by getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands real fast. So it's, uh, um, I, you know, it seems like the rules and everything are set up in favor of the offense. And, uh, I, you know, the people calling the shots these days are really doing a good job of exploiting that. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. It, it just seems like in every level of football, whether it's high school, college, or NFL, that offense is beginning to, or that these offensive coordinators are beginning to take you know, greater and greater, you know, steps as far as trying to create as high of octane of offenses as they can. And it also just appears to me that, like like Mike, you said, you you know, when it comes down at the end of the game, if you're able to make a big-time play on defense, I guess we could get... I guess we need to start considering that good defense because the days of like stuffing and shutting down an entire offense, I think, are done. You know, you could also make the comparison of how basketball is changing. You know, how... Like back, like back in the day, like it used to be about having post players and big men and stuff like that. And now it's all about three-point shooting and, you know, everybody can shoot. I mean, I think it just goes to show that not only is football changing, but so are other sports. And I, I guess it's just a sign of the times. No, I, I think that's right. I think we've seen, I think we've seen common sense matched with willingness to get away from tradition combined with uh, an interest and even sexiness and looking at data that's changed everything, you know, and I, again, I always come back to the story of, you know, the Red Sox who, you know, were signing and, and grooming all these right-handed power hitters for years, and Bill James said, you know, actually, 
left-handers hit more home runs at, at Fenway than the right-handers, and they said, oh, and they and they signed David Ortiz, and the rest is history, you know, and you know, so I, I think that I think people are getting smarter, you know, they know that three-point shooters in the NBA shoot way higher when they catch and shoot than when they dribble, and so they figure out ways to space the floor and, you know, and isolate, and, you know, Greg Popovich, among others, say that some of the art of the game has been lost, and I don't know. I, I, I'm a fan of his. I, I, I actually adore Greg Popovich. I also think every generation thinks the art of the game was lost, you know, and, I mean, how, how artful was it for uh, Magic to dribble three times, pass it to Kareem, you know, and, 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 and do a, a, a skyhook while everyone watched, you know, and, and, of course, there was fast breaks and show times, but but there's a there's a there's a part of every sport where you know people do what they think will work and it's not always the most interesting or exciting but they're out there to win they're not out there to to be artful so you know I, I think the spread offense in football is probably here to stay I think the defense is going to have to have a different definition you know I mean in my lifetime the, the the value of a running back in NFL has changed so dramatically I mean I grew up what you wanted to be was a running back in the NFL when you when you grew up, and now you know they they're, they're interchangeable basically, um, with a few exceptions. So the, the sport is changing so rapidly. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So we're going to transition from some football to a little basketball. And we're going to start out on the college basketball side of things. And my first topic for you is this. What expectations for college basketball considering COVID? What's a reasonable expectation in terms of their ability to play? Oh, man. I, 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 you know, I wish the NBA was running the federal response to COVID. You know, um, they, they, they did so well. They have, they have people making millions of dollars who don't have to uh, pretend they're going to class. Um, so, you know, it's a very different situation. Uh, but uh, I think it'll be challenging, you know. I mean, pick up the paper. And it's, the worst, it's the worst it's been with COVID right now. You know, we're not always acting like it, but it's way worse than it was when everything shut down in spring. I think it's going to be tough. Um, I'm glad they're trying. I hope they do it safely, and I have no idea what will happen. What do you guys think will happen? You know, I don't know. I, I really don't. I, th- I think I think it's just kind of a wait-and-see thing. I think, I think every day, you know, I think we're learning a little bit more and more. And I think the onus of all this co- comes down to the coaches and the players. You, you know, how how well are they are how, how well are they following protocol? How well are they, you know, masking up and you know practicing social distancing and stuff? I think I, I think it, I think it's really like a day by day, you know, game by game, even practice by practice situation. You know, I I think that's the best way I can explain it. Sure. Well, I think there's a good chance that uh, we're going to lose some games and people are going to have to be flexible and understand it's not always going to be completely fair. I think the conferences as we get towards the second half of the season are going to might have to rejiggle some schedules to to get in you know, key games. And uh, I don't know about the conference tournament. Um, you know, that's... Yeah. If if you're going to play an NCAA tournament, I think playing conference tournaments is a tremendous risk. Putting everybody yeah. all in one spot, like the NBA did it, but they they had everybody in a bubble for a long time and built up to it and all. The idea that the SEC is going to blow into Nashville and they're going to be able to have a bubble established and play a tournament, I don't know if that's you know because of the risk that that could expose the whole conference to if if you're going to try and play an NCAA tournament. So, uh, yeah. I, you know, well, it's... You know, the NCAA tournament, I think you have to start talking about money because 
you know, there'll be a lot of people very interested in having that more than more than the, the, the conference tournament, more than your garden variety weekend conference game. So I bet there'll be a real compelling interest in making that happen. I don't know whether they'll be able to, but I think that I think they make billions of dollars off of that, you know, um, to the TV rights from CBS and, and others. So I, I think they'll work hard at that. You know, it's like, the Big Ten wasn't going to have football, you know, and they figure out a way how, and I think we know why. 100%. Oh, absolutely. 100% agree. Our next topic for you as far as, like, college basketball, we're going to move things over to the University of Georgia Bulldogs, and I want to talk about one guy in particular with you guys, and that is Sabir Wheeler. He's gotten off to an incredibly hot start for the Georgia Bulldog basketball team. He's had three straight double-doubles, including 21 points and 10 assists against Jacksonville, University last Friday, I think last night against Montana, he had nine points and seven assists. I mean, I mean this, I mean this guy's off to a really hot start for Tom Crean and the Georgia Bulldogs. Well, I think he's he's really a lot of fun to watch. He kind of reminds you of J.J. Frazier, you know, kind of a small left-handed point guard, but he can, uh, you know, his his outside shooting is is good, but you know, the real key to his game is his ability to drive and then. As the defense collapses on him to dish off, and that's where a lot of those assists come from. But uh, he certainly can break down a defense, and I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. And I hope he sticks around for two more years too. Which you know, he he, he might he might I don't know he might be in that that magic place where he's good enough to be really good and and, and needs to put in three or four years as well because of just a stature, and um, that would be great. You know, I. I almost wish there was a, a, a study. What happens to program, you know, when something like Anthony Edwards blows to town? You know, because so often those top draft picks go to UNC, Kentucky, you know, Duke, and, and they just replenish them. And I wonder how many times it's happened where, you know, once in a life, once in a generation player comes through, and what happens to that program after? Is it, is it a magnet for other great players? You know, you know, Jim Beheim says that uh, Pearl Washington revolutionized that program. You know, he came through and in the early 80s and changed everything, and that's why they could recruit players like Cycli and Douglas and Derek Coleman and, you know, Billy Owens and all those guys. And, and I wonder if that's the norm or if that's the exception. So I, I guess maybe we'll see what happens in the next couple of years. I'm really hopeful that that, that is a trend that's going to get Georgia into a place where we would all like it to be, you know. I think, you know, I think Tom Crean is a fabulous coach. I think he's a guy, you know, that gets it. He comes from winning programs and like pedigree and stuff. I think, and the other thing that I love about Tom Crean, you guys, is his energy. His energy is so infectious. He gets you like excited. If you if you look back, you know, the past two years with Georgia's attendance, I mean, Stephen Coliseum has had energy and buzz in it, like. Like coming back in the days of like Jim Herrick, and I think that was when you were in school, right, Mike? You were in the days of Jim Herrick. Yeah, he helped me with my test. Um, <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, I mean, Georgia's had three or four runs at 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 they, they they come so close so many times. I mean, you know, there was the the Sweet Sixteen team from the late '90s. They were great, and they were so close to getting you know over the hump, and you know. And then there was, you know, the, the team, uh, you know, years later with Herrick. And, you know, they, they've been so close so many times. And uh, hopefully this is the, you know, the beginning of something 
of the new era. Hopefully, hopefully. So, Mike, we're going to transition to the last part of the show, and keeping with the basketball theme, we're going to talk about the other basketball team that we root for and we talk about on this podcast, and that is the Atlanta Hawks. So, the Hawks were very aggressive in free agency, and and the roster uh, had significant changes to it, including Danilo Gallinari, Chris Dunn, Tony Snell, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Rajon Rondo, and the sixth pick in the NBA draft on Nyeke Okonglu out of Southern California, and, and Cliff Capella. What, what do you think of the Hawks' change? I don't know how they're going to decide who to put on the floor, frankly. They've got so many, you know, you know Trey Young is a, is, a, is a superstar or emerging superstar, and then they've got like 10 guys that are good. You know, what, what do you do with your two draft picks from last year? What do you do with Ray John Rondo? What do you, you know, Kevin Herter was, 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 was emerging as a, as, a, as a really strong player. So I, I don't need to be a pessimist. I'm actually concerned that they're going to, they're going to have some unhappy campers because they can only put five guys on the floor. You know, what's the normal NBA rotation? Eight or nine players. You know, they're, they're, they've got a lot of, of, you know, B to B plus to A minus players that they're going to have to figure out what to do with. And maybe they've got a strategy. You know, Rondo's probably one and done. Maybe he's going to be counsel. His role is to be a coach on the bench. I don't know. He just won a title, so I, I wouldn't want to sell him short. Um, but I, I'm interested. I think that they should make the playoffs with this roster. You know, and, and by the way, there's no reason why Atlanta should not be a destination for NBA free agents. There's no reason why. You know, I read a stat that more NBA is watched on TV in Atlanta than any other city uh, relative to the population. They're just not watching the Hawks always, but they're watching something, you know, because it's a it's a great sports town. It's a, it's a great, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's probably the black capital of the world, you know, thanks to uh, our history and legacy of civil rights. And, and um, the NBA is, is so present in the civil rights discussion, uh, which is so wonderful. And this should be a place where people want to come play basketball. And, and maybe this is a, a strategic move to – to become relevant for a year or two, and then and then chase after a good creation. I don't know. I, I'd be interested to see what this does. Well, what I what I'll say, and and what I think is gonna happen, just my like own opinion, and, and from everything that I gather, it sounds like Rondo is more or less gonna be, you know, as you mentioned, like a coach on the floor. I think Danilo Gallinari is gonna come off the bench and be kind of that sixth man, you know, help out with shooting because that's something the Hawks desperately needed was shooting, and like Chris Dunn, for example, is a defensive, you know, shutdown guard, you know, you'll put him on whoever the other team's best guard is, like I think, I think Bogdanovich is a playmaker, I think it's going to be interesting to see he and Trey together, because I think Bogdanovich can really shoot, but, but I also think he can make some impact in the second unit, I, I, you know, I will agree with you about Atlanta being a destination place, you know, for people to want to come play basketball, and I think I think the big reason with that now is is you have a guy, you have a franchise changing point guard in Trey Young, who who can pick up the phone hopefully and be like, hey, you know, don't you want to come to Atlanta? And it it just it I really like what the Hawks have done. I'm Mike. I haven't been this excited about the Hawks in a very long time. You you know, as you know, I'm a long suffering Hawks fan. And probably one of the biggest Hawk fans in the world. I, I really like what Travis Schlink has done. I um I, so I'm I'm really optimistic about this season. Yeah, Dad, what's your take? I've had the same thought. My cat, as far as uh, as far as I I know, they're still just going to be playing with one ball on the court, and uh, there's a lot of guys you know who are accustomed to having it in their hands. But I I've 
I've read that several general managers are looking at the Hawks roster with the idea that there will there will be a sh- shakeout around the the trade deadline. That the Hawks are probably over rostered right now, and there's probably two or three two or three guys that might be available going forward. And if they can uh, work that out into you know favorable draft picks or other stuff, yeah. it could set the the franchise up going into the future. But um, it is it's. To me, it's one of the most interesting things we've had in around here to to look at to see how this Hawks team plays out because I don't have any idea. Uh, you know, everybody's telling us uh, that the young guys are all ready to take a step, and then you have some really talented uh, veterans that you brought in, and seeing how that all meshes together is really going to be fascinating. I I, I really agree. It it, it feels. It, 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 it reminds me of when uh, Liam, my son, picks his NBA 2K team. He just picks a bunch of players and doesn't really concern himself with how they fit together, you know. <laughs> um, so uh, I guess he always tells me he, he, he's not he's not a fan of the process. He just he just wants the players. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. I think I, I mean, if nothing else, I can't wait to watch. You know, I really can't wait to watch. Yeah, it, it's definitely going to be fun for sure. And that brings me up to my next topic with you. And with all the changes we mentioned previously, how, how did the expectations for the Hawks change this season? Well, I think they should make the playoffs. Not that long ago in the East, you could, uh, you know, be a 500 team make the playoffs. Yeah, I when I was watching the uh, the last dance, I was reminded that, that the famous game where, you know, Jordan scored 63, you know, he was out all that season with an injury, and they won like 35 games or something. I mean, there was something like 35 and 47, or, or I don't know, I'm making that up, but they, they had a, a big-time losing record. Um, so, you know, making the AC is, is, a, is a very manageable goal. I think they, 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 they should make the playoffs. They have, a, they have a good team. From there, you know, I don't know. I think that, you know, it, it, you have, we have to be patient. I think they're building something. I think, Mike, what you said, it makes all the sense in the world. It's kind of like the Braves strategy they just get as many young pitchers as you can and then figure out what, what to do next so i think i think they are probably hoarding i think that they got you know some pretty good leadership in, at this point and um i i think they'll make the playoff this year and i think they'll be a contender in two three years i agree 100 you, you know as we talked about you know with the roster with the changes I, I'm, I really think the depth that we have now is a lot better than where where it's been the past three or four years and i i'm fascinated to see you know how all this meshes together. You know, as you guys talked about, you know, there's only one ball on the floor. But but what I think will be cool is getting to see, you know, how how Trey Young fits in with these guys. How John Collins will be able to slide in and play his natural power forward spot. And then you can spell like Danilo Gallinari for for John Collins. And then Bogdanovich, you know, making threes. You know, being a playmaker on the second unit, or at least we think. And then Okongwu down low, you know, how did he and Capella mesh? I think there's a lot of great storylines. I'm fired up about the Hawks. I can't wait. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking a lot of different stuff with us, talking some football, talking some basketball with you. We will uh, we'll get you on again. I would love to I'd love to be back on again. Thank you guys for having me, Joe. Mike, great talk to you. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Michael. So, Dad, that was a really fun interview we did with my, with my cousin, Michaeline. I thought he had a lot of great perspective, a lot of good insight and stuff, and um, that was a really good show. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. I always enjoy talking with Mike. He's uh, he's an ex- a well-informed, excitable fan with a with a good uh, sense of history of these teams. So absolutely, absolutely. So, so, Dad, before we get out of here, you know Christmas is getting closer. 
It's getting ever closer. So, so when you think Christmas, what do you think of? FanForAllSeasons.com. Go to the merchandise page and get t-shirts, hoodies, long sleeve tees. Come on, guys. You know, nothing says Merry Christmas like Fan for All Seasons merchandise of your favorite sports podcast. And you could be representing your favorite sports podcast and be thinking about your favorite sports host, favorite sports podcast host, your boy, <laughs> Jam and Jeff. <laughs> well said, Joe. And, uh, and what else uh, do we like to do around the holidays? We, we like to eat barbecue, and that is... The perfect time to do our sponsorship read. So Fan for All Seasons is brought to you in part by Georgia Smoke Barbecue, authentic original oak smoked barbecue catering. Learn more at georgiasmoke.com. So for my dad, I'm Jam and Joe. This has been another exciting installment of the Fan for All Seasons podcast, and we'll talk to you guys next week. See ya! <laughs>